This is Business of Home. I'm Dennis Scully, and welcome to the Thursday Show. Later on, I'll be recapping High Point Market with BOH's editor-in-chief, Caitlin Peterson, and retail columnist Warren Schulberg. But first, we're going to catch up on the news, including Z Gallery filing for bankruptcy, a surprising new use for model homes, and a look at Walmart's plan to build an AI-powered interior designer. To do all that, I'm joined by Business of Homes executive editor, Fred Nicholas. Hi, Fred. Hi, Dennis. How's it going? Great. How you doing? I'm doing good. I, I know you're going to be recapping High Point Market with uh, Caitlin and Warren uh, later and tackling all the serious issues. So yes. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you very quickly, did you did you find a green salad and is Ivory Boucle over? Let's get <laughs> let's get an up down vote on those two pressing issues. Many people came to our support, Fred, about Ivory Boucle, <laughs> but they wanted to show me many, many more colors of Boucle <laughs> and and to tell me emphatically Boucle is not going away. So I okay. cannot report that. I didn't make it to Biscuitville, which was the big disappointment of the trip, but I did uh, have a delicious green salad and a very sweet interior designer came over and asked to make sure that I was getting my green salad. And I said, (laughs) yes, thank you. I did find it. So that was very sweet. She offered you a bag of loose spinach from her purse. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can move on from the Ivory Boucle Death Watch to the Rainbow Boucle Death Watch. Uh, but yes. uh, before we do that, we should look back on Monday's episode. One, one of my favorites I think we've ever done, or I should say you've ever done. I was just lurking in the background making cuts. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, an interview with uh, interior designer Anthony Barada, one half of the iconic firm Diamond Barada. So much, so much to like, so much to love in this one. So much to love. A, a very real a very personal conversation about the many struggles of becoming a big firm and uh, it was uh, it was a fascinating walk through history and and just such a a candid conversation from Tony I I really was very grateful to him for it yeah, I mean this this interview is like it's like New York's hottest nightclub. It's got great <laughs> stories about the 1980s, you know, design. It's got great business takeaways. It's got lots of humor. It's I don't know. I I really struggle to just have a one takeaway or even two. It's it's just a really really uh, enjoyable conversation with a, a really interesting guy who's really been through the ups and downs and has seen it all and uh, a lot a lot of wisdom there. So I would urge everyone listening to go check it out. A very special show, and uh, and again, I'm I'm grateful to to Tony for uh, sharing all that with all of us. All right, we're going to get to the news in just a moment, but first, a quick break. Forehands is a leading source of design inspiration for interior designers, architects, retailers, and more. Forehands will introduce over 425 styles this fall for every room in the home. See their new collection plus top-selling pieces at their High Point Fall Market showroom from October 14th through the 18th. Follow them on Instagram at Forehands Furniture for daily design inspiration. Or visit forehands.com slash boh to become a trade customer. That's f-o-u-r-h-a-n-d-s dot com slash boh. Design Manager is the design industry's most reliable project management, purchasing, and accounting platform. The business of design is complex and requires solutions developed specifically for our industry. Design Manager has invested decades responding to the needs of interior design professionals and continues to deliver innovative tools to manage your business with efficiency and profitability in mind. 
Design Manager is excited to announce their completely reimagined platform with a fresh new look, refined tools and features, and enhanced solutions to keep your design business on track. Visit designmanager.com to schedule a demo of the tool trusted by the top interior design firms across the country. Okay, we're back. First up, Z Gallery, Fred. Yes, well, Z Gallery has filed for bankruptcy. Uh, it happened just this Monday afternoon. We actually broke the news here at Business of Home. Um, this is the third time the California retailer has gone Chapter 11. Uh, this time it's siding between 50 to $100 million in debt, and they're hoping to find a strategic buyer to take over the company. Failing that, they will put it into liquidation. What was your reaction, Dennis? Well, to your point, it sounded as if part of their struggle this time around was their previous bankruptcy, it, it seemed, from some of the documents. What was your what was your sense there? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like a now familiar list of complaints. There's mortgage rates are going up, which slows down the housing market, which makes people buy less from places like Z Gallery. There were a lot of supply chain challenges going into uh, 21 and 22 that, that hurt them. I mean, every retailer, especially retailers like Z Gallery that are kind of at the middle or bottom of the market are hurting. So a lot of that was no surprise. Um, the kind of twist here is, as you said, they hadn't only gone bankrupt in, in 2019. So this was only four years ago. The brand had kind of been tarnished and it was harder to revitalize it than I think they thought. Well, and they also pointed out that moment where a lot of the vendors started asking for full payment and credit terms started to to change and uh, and and so clearly there were there were a lot of challenges they sort of indicated that if nothing happens soon that they might have to close all their stores by december if i recall from the documents i mean what's your what's your sense of what happens next for them Thankfully, this isn't like a Mitchell Gold, Bob Williams situation where the company just shut down overnight. You know, they've they've got the industry's busiest uh, mergers and acquisition firm, uh, Tim and Bo Stump, the Stumps, who we've had on the podcast working for them. So, do you think the Stump family sleeps in shifts, or how, <laughs> I mean, how how do you think that they manage this between the I, three of them? Do they just <laughs> say you cover from five in the morning till noon when the phone rings off the hook for us? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't know. Yeah, the fact that they're busy is not a great sign. For the industry, yeah. but at least somebody's somebody's busy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's possible that this will go into liquidation. You know, and I mean we should say this, you know, this is a smaller company than Mitchell Golden Bob Williams. I think they had something like 250 employees. They were doing a decent amount of, of revenue, but you know, this isn't like a giant manufacturing operation that's gonna destroy a town. You know, it's it's obviously not good news, but this is a different order of magnitude. And and also to be fair, it's you know. I, I worry about the designers who have open orders with Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams. Z Gallery is obviously not the first place on most designer shopping lists. So I don't think most people who are listening to this podcast will be directly affected by this, but certainly it's uh, one we'll be watching over the next few months to see what pans out. Absolutely. And hopefully it's not indicative of more bankruptcies to, to come. We're sort of eager to, to wrap all this up. I, I remember... <laughs> Uh, CSC being a, a company that had a lot of other things going on. You've written about them in the past. Talk to us a little bit about that company. Yeah. So CSC Generation is is the owner of Z Gallery through sort of a complicated uh, corporate ownership structure. They're one of the most interesting, least understood businesses in the industry. <laughs> it's it's a, it's kind of a holding company, or a, I, I guess the owner, uh, the founder rather, Justin Yoshimura describes it as a tech company. And Justin is a really intriguing character. He's very young. I think he's in his earlier mid-30s. He's very smart, just incredibly sharp, 
definitely an outsider to the home business, uh, but definitely a very, very sharp guy. And he's been picking up companies like Z Gallery or Sur La Table. He owns One King's Lane. And, you know, he's thus far had a good amount of success buying these companies in distress and kind of making them a little more streamlined and updating their tech. This is kind of the first example, at least that I can think of, of one of his acquisitions going chapter 11. And I do wonder if there's kind of a second order effect of I think a lot of people, when they have a company to sell, call Justin and say, hey, like, you know, we got a got a brand in distress. What do you think? And I do wonder if this kind of thing makes him a little bit more gun shy about pulling the trigger on uh, on acquiring uh, more companies, because I know he's been doing a lot of it recently. And this this might slow that down. You know, I'm hopeful I can get him to do an interview with me again. He's hasn't been returning my calls. So, Justin, if you're listening, did you whatever scare I did, him away? Did you what, scare him away? I, no, he's not scarable. <laughs> but whatever I did, Justin, I'm sorry. Uh, pick up the phone and, and come on the podcast and tell us what you want to do. But in all seriousness, I do think that, you know, my guess is that this is going to make him, um, you know, a little bit more gun shy about doing business. So, you know, that's that's not great. I'm hopeful that there's no one in the comp- in the industry right now trying to sell a company to him who's uh, affected by this news. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, moving on to a uh, a far bigger company, and that would be <laughs> Walmart. Uh, Walmart says that it's developing AI tools. The mega retailer is planning to roll out a series of features for online shoppers powered by artificial intelligence among them that's right an ai interior designer and uh, and walmart's not the only one uh, our friends at wayfair have uh, rolled out a similar tool called decorify and fred i feel like this is a little bit of going backwards to the early days of ar and vr coming out everywhere what's your what's your sense <laughs> I just love the concept of Walmart building an AI interior. It's impossible not to think of like the the maid from the Jetsons, you know, just rolling into your room and offering you some fabric samples. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, look, like as we all know, there have been the rollout of these incredible generative AI tools. Midjourney is one of them. Dolly is another one of them. It's no surprise that retailers are trying to figure out a way to use that technology for their own benefit. You know, they've already figured out over the course of the past five years that if they have some kind of e-design service, it sends their average order value up. It makes customers more likely to buy. If they can provide that e-design service at rel- basically no cost to them, of course, they're going to do it. So, you know, all of these big retailers are trying to figure out how to make an AI-powered interior design service. Um, and, you know, Walmart and Wayfair are just the tip of the iceberg, but we're going to see a lot more of these roll out in the months ahead. Well, so, Fred, are you are you suggesting that I need to shift what I've been saying to designers about not worrying <laughs> about what AI is going to do? Should I be should I be altering my my warm, soothing message to designers saying, no, no, it's going to be a tool. It's going to help you. You're going to love this. Well, have you have you played with any of these tools at all? I know Walmart's uh, ha- isn't out yet, but Wayfair's is out. What did you think of it? And and I have and I have played with that one. And listen, I mean, again, I I think back to the early days of Modzi when you could upload the images, and it was pretty spectacular. Then the technology has only gotten better, and so yes, it 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 is incredibly helpful. It seems an amazing shopping tool. Again, I want to stress the word tool. I like the tool part of it versus the Jetson-like robot that's sort of (laughs) really putting it all together. I mean, I thought it was sweet the way that Walmart was using this tool to help you decorate for the holidays, for example, right? So they showed you all these Christmas decorations set up in your room. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm all right with that. If it'll go down to the basement and get my Christmas (laughs) ornaments, that would be more helpful. But yes. 
Yeah. And when when they develop an AI that can go through the chain of Christmas lights and find the one that's right. making them all not work, then then right. you've got a billion dollar exactly. business. Exactly. Then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I am actually not so. I, I'm impressed by the underlying technology, but the way that retailers are using it, I think, is not quite there yet. The way it works is that you'll load up an image of your living room and you'll say, "Okay, I want this in a traditional style," and it'll take the photo and it'll replace it with sort of the same room with like a chintz wallpaper and some overstuffed sofas but like the windows a little bit different or the dimensions are slightly off so that's one thing that's a little bit problematic but then what they want to do of course is give you little shoppable links to all the things that the ai has put in your room and that's where the technology is really weak i don't know if you played with that but like you know wayfair's ai will put in like a little ottoman you click on the ottoman and it'll be a link to a sofa It'll, it'll give you a sofa and it'll give you like a link to a painting of a sofa. And the links themselves don't even really look like the items that they're trying to tag. So there's a lot of little bugs and, and tweaks that make this technology really impressive, but not that useful yet. But it is certainly getting better for sure. And again, this has all happened so quickly, yes, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT, all of that just rolled out still within the past year and and so it, it it's so early it's gotten so much better already there's huge investments being made amazon's big investment in anthropic that 4 billion dollars that they made in that and and lots of companies have announced similar investments in the space i mean it and and your your story in the recent issue the fall issue the technology issue talks about listen all these other things that People have pointed to NFTs and other things. AI is the real deal. AI is here to to stay and is going to be a player in this in the space in a meaningful way, as you've talked about. Completely. I think like a full service interior designer does not really need to worry. E-designers need to worry a little bit. And if you're a designer working for a retail company doing online design, you need to find a new job because they are trying to replace you with this. They're they're rolling it out. Like that's that's the moment we're in it right now. Right. Okay. Maybe this is related, this next story that we're going to talk about, Uh, an intriguing new company that you've written about, Fred. Yeah, so I wrote a story for uh, Business of Home this week about a company called Mine that's doing kind of an intriguing thing. They're turning model homes into furniture showrooms, which is kind of wonky, so I'll kind of walk you through it. Basically, the company Mine works with home builders like your Pulte's or your Tripoint Homes, uh, and they take the model homes that home builders make to show off their product, and they make them shoppable. So if you're a home buyer wandering through a model home and you're like, oh, I don't really want this house, but I do like that sofa, you can log on to Mine site, you have an e-commerce experience that you can click to buy. So it kind of combines like furniture e-commerce with model homes with some other third thing that I can't <laughs> think of right now. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a fascinating company. They launched actually in 2019, but they're sort of now just kind of coming out of stealth mode and marketing themselves a little bit more. So I thought it would be an interesting time to to profile them and talk about what they're doing. What do you think of it, Dennis? Well, and to your point, it's also interesting how it plays into this narrative that we're even going to talk about some more in just a little bit about new home buyers and people showing up in in model home spaces and 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 seeing all of this. I I think this is 
really in, intriguing. And as you talked about in the article, they can they can say that we have thousands of locations, and here they are. Yeah, it's funny. Like I was doing an interview with the founder of the company, and he, you know, one of the one of the claims to fame is that they have twelve hundred showrooms, which of course is a lot more than pretty much any other uh, any other retailer in America. And it's really interesting because there's this huge network of model homes out there. Like when you start looking at these numbers, it's just sort of mind blowing how many of them there are. Like. Lennar has more model homes than there are targets and best buys combined in the US and Pulte, <laughs> a home builder has 2.5 million square feet of model homes which is this incredible inventory and of course home builders hate these model homes because they have to build an entire house and they can't sell it you know what I mean they have to just let it sit there and have people walk through it so it's this interesting thing of trying to be you know solve a pain point for home builders but also allow people to sit test furniture that they might not normally able to sit test so it's a really cool idea i mean i think there's a lot of pieces to pull together whether it'll actually work in the long term is very tbd but it just uh was an interesting business idea that uh, as we've talked about taps into this sort of mini boomlet in, in home builders that we're having right now so certainly one one to keep an eye on Absolutely. Uh, although, sadly, that uh, that boomlet might yes. have uh, <laughs> might have hit pause just a little bit as we share some unfortunately grim housing numbers with people right now. The folks over at Redfin have pointed out recently that unfortunately, 2023 is on track to be the slowest housing market since 2008. Their numbers show that uh, 4.1 million homes will change hands this year, compared to about. 6 million back in 2021. And as we've talked about throughout this show, uh, high mortgage rates are are certainly to blame and some of the other macroeconomic challenges that are going on. What's your what's your sense, Fred? Well, there was an even more depressing statistic on top of this, which is that... <laughs> but wait, uh, sorry. there's more. <laughs> yeah, according to something called the Mortgage Bankers Association, purchased mortgages this September dropped to the lowest level since 1995. <laughs> you know, these are these are very historically low numbers, which is certainly, I mean, I'm struggling to find a silver lining to all of this. Maybe this means that home renovation is going to go up because people are stuck in their homes. They don't want to move. So maybe they'll do projects along those lines. But certainly this is not great news for our industry, which very much depends on the housing stock changing hands frequently. What was your take? We've, we've talked a lot about home builders and how well they were doing because not so many people were putting their homes on the market. And so the resale market had slowed down. The home builders were taking advantage of that. Unfortunately, rates started to creep even higher for a, for a host of, of different reasons. The Federal Reserve came out and finally seemed to scare everyone enough to, to make them believe that this higher for longer interest rate mantra that they've been talking about is really true. They made clear it's not their intention to lower rates in 2024, and that seemed to push mortgage rates above 7.5%. But the silver lining, Fred, or the little bit of history that I went back to sort of dig up to put this in context, is that mortgage rates are still historically very low. Back in 1981, if you were buying a new home, the 30-year mortgage rate was at 16.6%. And even by the end of that decade, 1989, 10.25%. We've been living in this anomaly. We've just forgotten that mortgage rates were always 
higher than seven and a half percent as they are now. And so really, this is much more just a normal time. And we've just forgotten what normal times are. Well, I mean, I agree with that, but not to push back too hard. I mean, there's also price. You exactly. Know, you know, and I, that's what's so different yeah. about the, about this time around. So during the great financial crisis, when prices got incredibly inflated, they fell very quickly because everybody had to sell, everybody had to uh, to move out. That's not happening because nobody is selling because unfortunately, again, going back to the artificially low rates, so many people have a dramatically lower rate than what the current mortgage rate is. And we have never in any economic cycle faced that condition in the way we do now, where the vast majority of homeowners have a mortgage rate that is below the current mortgage rate that's on offer from lending institutions. And that's why we really don't know what's going to happen next with the housing market. We don't know what's going to turn things around, but something is going to have to break and eventually people are going to have to sell and we just don't know when that is. Didn't really sound like a silver lining to me, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for a little ray of sunshine, but uh... well, I just, I just feel like sometimes we talk about this yeah. w- w- without the historical context of recognizing I, that I previous agree, generations sure. have dealt with this forever. Sure, but the prices but... were just way, way lower. I mean, to yes. think about like my parents' own home buying experience, you know. Sure, their mortgage was likely a lot more expensive when they bought their house in, I guess it was the early 90s. But it was, you know, the house is appreciated like 10 times in value and no one's salary has gone up 10 times in value. So, you know, there's still an affordability crisis uh, that's not just arbitrary. It's not psychological. You know, it's not just. No, no, no. That is is the worst part of this, Fred. You're absolutely right. The the housing affordability crisis, and it is a crisis, is is very real. And, And as a country, we need to come together and decide what we're going to do to create more affordable housing. There's no question. Question about that. Maybe the next item will hold a clue to, <laughs> to how we can come together as a nation. Exactly. If only we'd all come together and sing It's a Small World After All, which leads us to Disney, Fred. <laughs> we needed a ray of sunshine. We didn't get it for that last item, but we have it now. The The New York Times has a very entertaining story this week on Disney's efforts to get into the home market, uh, the brand which just turned 100 just the other day, has collaborated with Ruggable and, of course, Sanderson. We had uh, Lisa Montague, Sanderson's CEO, on the podcast recently. Uh, and Disney is tapping into a small but powerful niche demographic, Disney adults. Dennis, <laughs> are you familiar with the phenomenon of Disney adults? I mean, as I went down the rabbit hole of some of the great TikTok uh, conversations about Disney, the Zara Home neutral Disney collection that they talked about was actually really fabulous. So imagine just neutral colored, but all these sort of Disney paraphernalia. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty fabulous. I, you know, the what was interesting. You mentioned Sanderson, and what was so interesting about the response to that Disney collaboration was so many designers wrote to me and said, "I can see this." going in so many rooms in the home. This wasn't a children's room only situation. And little did I know that there were so many people that were <laughs> eager to have Disney throughout their home. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. There's sort of two things going on here. There is this phenomenon of adults who are still obsessed with Disney and want their home to be, you know, Disneyed to the max. And I think that's sort of like a fun demographic. And certainly I understand why the New York Times would highlight that. But I do think there's a sort of this 
other thing, which is that people now today who are 40, even up to 50, have been raised in sort of this culture of fandom. I mean, specifically around Disney, because of course the 80s and 90s was a real heyday for Disney. But, you know, I sort of feel like today's adults are just way less serious about this stuff than than adults who came the generation before. Like, you know, it doesn't feel that weird for a 45-year-old to have, like, Star Wars paraphernalia in their home in a way that it would have seemed totally insane for, like, a 45-year-old in 1960 to have, like, a Buck Rogers statue in his living room. <laughs> so there's there's something that sort of culturally has changed where people are much more comfortable, uh, you know, continuing their fandom well into their later years and, and making home purchasing decisions around it. Well, it's interesting, too, because it comes at a time where Disney, the company, has actually really been struggling in a meaningful way for, for the first time in, in, in generations. They've had to bring back Bob I and try and write the ship. They had to cut the dividend. They've been underperforming the S&P for years. The stock has, has fallen hard. And this story, in a way, reminds you of the great underlying value and the love for that brand and all of the history and all the nostalgia. And it, it feels like so many people just have such a powerful connection to this brand. And you can't, you can't buy that, and and that's what I think is so remarkable about the the Disney brand and the heritage. I know they have their own Disney retirement communities. <laughs> yes. People just want to live inside of Disney in, in a way that is is just truly remarkable. Um, the the power of nostalgia and and the deep connection that that people have, whether it's to their childhood or whether it's to their their memory of when they were raising their children, it's uh, it, it's really very powerful, and and it. And it does play a big role, as it turns out, in many, in many people's homes. And, uh, and that certainly needs to be considered in the design world. I'm guessing uh, there's a lot of interior designers who have stories about Disney stuff that they've hid when the photographer <laughs> came over. <laughs> would love to hear from people about that. Uh, I agree. I, I, would, I would love to hear that as well. All right. That's it for the news. But there's plenty more to check out on businessofhome.com including advice from Sean Lowe about career pivots and a look at how to incorporate sustainable giving into your business. We're going to get to my discussion with Warren and Caitlin in just a minute, but first, a quick break. In interior design, every detail counts. Need a solution to streamline your process without compromising quality? Enter Design Manager. Their software, used by thousands of growing interior design firms, integrates project management, purchasing, and accounting effortlessly. And exciting news! They've just launched a revamped platform with refined tools tailored for designers. Elevate your design business with Design Manager. Visit designmanager.com for a demo and discover why leading design firms trust them. Forehand's newest collection of home furnishings and decor debuts this month, including antique-inspired pieces with hand-applied finishes from the makers at Van Teel, and a new collection from Thomas Bina and Ronald Sasson, featuring specially crafted, hand-selected materials. Join the Forehand's trade program to shop these collections and more. There's never an order minimum, and you'll enjoy bigger discounts the more you spend. Visit forehands.com boh. That's F-O-U-R-H-A-N-D-S dot com slash B-O-H.
Okay, I'm joined by BOH's Editor-in-Chief, Caitlin Peterson. Caitlin, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. So nice to have you. And our retail columnist, Warren Schulberg, also just back from High Point. Warren, welcome. And good morning to you, uh, Dennis and Caitlin. So glad to have you both. And I am eager to dive into the discussion about the mood, the tenor, the feeling on the ground. Caitlin, what was your what was your sense? The mood on the street was that traffic was, was certainly slower than spring or than last fall. I think you know, that's not maybe the news anyone wants to hear, but I think that's worth sort of saying right out front. You know, you weren't Okay, waiting. way to bring us down right out I of the know, gate, I know, I know. Starting right. on a high okay. note. Okay, okay. Something else that was interesting was just how spread out market was. I will be interested when we get those final numbers to see how many people really did walk through the doors. But I was starting mm. to hear about, you know, retailers and even designers trying to get in on Monday or Tuesday before market officially opened on Saturday. You know, usually, I mean, we roll up at Thursday and start taking appointments. So sure. I'm not throwing stones on showing up early, but right. um, I do think that you know, as as the the window of time where people are visiting, I think especially retailers came really early. It can then feel quieter later, but I think you know maybe a lot of those folks showed up and they just kind of did it and then skipped town before the rest of us got there. Warren, was that also your feeling that it that it felt uh, as though there was there was less traffic, less fewer people to you? Yeah, I think um, I haven't been to a market in 150 years where people haven't said, "Okay, the, it's not as good as it was last time." So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think there's that kind of syndrome. I think you got to put this market in the context of uh, the furniture industry is having a real tough time right now. Business is very slow. Inventory levels are still pretty high, and given that. The market wasn't um, as depressing as it could have been, and uh, maybe that's a, maybe that's an offhanded uh, compliment. But um, the market just um, that had this kind of veil over it that uh, business is tough. One thing that was actually kind of hopeful to me, I had a really interesting conversation with an industry veteran in a showroom who, you know, she acknowledged that her showroom maybe wasn't as bustling as it had been last market, but also pointed out that showroom traffic is a really bad way to measure success these days. And that it's sort of a, you know, oh, we all want to talk about, you know, how many people are here? How many people are coming in the door? Like, let's get our, you know, how many badge scans did you get today? But for her, you know, especially as her business has shifted toward designer orders, you know, she was like, I need five great designers to do business with me over the next six months. If we can make five solid connections, that's a more successful market than getting however many people in the door, the way we used to measure success, you know, leaving with a book of business already written. Yeah, no, 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 great point. And Warren, from the from the retail side, I mean, you you just you just outlined the fact that clearly it's a it's a very challenging time in the in the furniture industry. What was your sense as you as you spoke to vendors and and they talked about? You mentioned that inventory levels are still high. Have they? Have they had some success in working that down? What's your What's your take? Yeah, they are not as high as they had been uh, twelve months ago, but um, they're still higher than I think anybody wants them to be. And uh, a key point here is that a lot of this inventory is bad. It was bought at the peak of the supply chain mess uh, when prices were really jacked up, um, and also when retailers said. 
uh, I'm selling so much furniture. Give me whatever you got. And, and vendors cleared out the back room of the stuff that had been sitting there since the Bush administration. And um, <laughs> they were trying to uh, just get rid of it. And the retail said, yeah, give me more. And then uh, when the spigot shut off, people were stuck with a lot of bad stuff. So, you know, I talked to one guy who said, uh, uh, gee, I thought I was doing okay working my inventory down. I thought I was down to just, uh, this is a retailer. Uh, I thought I was down to only about $25,000 worth of merchandise. And um, I went in the back room and, and started counting. And I realized I still had $100,000 worth of bad inventory. So it's there and it's coming down. But at the rate of sale the industry is doing right now, we're going into 24 uh, before this finally starts to level off. I'm curious, this was supposed to be the most post-COVID feeling market that we've had. Everyone that we spoke to several months ago said, this is going to be the market that we're finally freed up to come out with new product, that we've cut our lead times down, that you're going to see newness and our, our best foot forward. <laughs> Caitlin, what's, you're shaking your head as I'm saying this. So <laughs> what's, your, what's your sense of were there some companies that delivered on that? Were there others that that couldn't because they they are cash strapped? I mean, what was your what did you see and what did you feel about all the new product introductions? I mean, on the lead time front, I think there was a lot more good news than bad news. You know, people were saying, "Oh, we're at you know two to three or three to four weeks for this. Maybe case goods are a little slower at like eight to ten weeks. We want to get that better, but we're pretty happy with it compared to where it was. Stuff like that." You know, at lead times didn't feel like a big story to me, this right. market, but this did not feel like the market where we emerge from sort of that malaise and have this, you know, amazing outpouring of new product in any way, shape or form. You know, there were a handful of, you know, really big show-stopping collections. Um, Universal was top of mind for me. They had over 100 new SKUs in their modern collection. It was beautifully merchandised. I think the pieces are right for the moment. But most of the places we went at market showed us, you know, this was a really successful chair for us. So we turned it into a chaise. You know, people really liked this bar cabinet. So now it's a console program. You know, there was a lot of, um, you know, onesie, twosie, you know, small capsule collection kind of introductions as opposed to sort of that you're going to walk in and everything's new and we're going to blow you away kind of feeling. Was that your sense as well, Warren? Yeah. And I think Caitlin sees a lot more product than I do. Uh, you know, I'm just there for the uh, tote bags and mimosas. So um. <laughs> I wonder. I mean, as as you were just suggesting, Warren, and and some of the some of the talking points that you had written about in in a piece that you wrote just prior to to High Point, wondering if people were going to be talking about Mitchell Gold and what happened there. Sadly, were they going to be talking about the housing market and and the challenges of of a high mortgage rates and and everything else? Was that what was on the tip of people's tongues that you spoke to? Certainly the bankruptcies were a hot topic. Um, there's a lot of speculation that there's more to come and it depends who you talk to. Uh, I talked to one person who uh, I think tends to be a little more pessimistic than others and he said there's a lot more to come and it's we're going to see it in the next six months. Uh, I talked to somebody else who's pretty plugged in and he said he's not hearing anything at all like that. So you know, I think we're going to see this uh, trickle, steady uh, 
drip, drip, drip of companies uh, struggling. But yeah, it was a hot topic. I, I think um, with interest rates high and, and uh, money uh, no longer free, a lot of companies are are gonna uh, are gonna have uh, some tough times ahead. So it's still a bit of a local uh, thing. So you talk to somebody in Florida or Texas, and they're doing okay because uh, a lot of incoming uh, people and a lot of housing construction, and uh, so they're doing better. You know, you talk to somebody in uh, in uh, Connecticut, and it's a very different situation. So. There's a lot of regionality to it, perhaps more than we've seen in years. One of the conversations that I had with several big furniture makers while I was there was that everybody had raced to expand their capabilities. They had hired. In some cases, they made acquisitions to have even greater factory capacity. And now suddenly... The backlog has been worked down, and they're looking over this horizon and trying to get a sense of when will the level of business return to justify the amount of capacity they built out in the past year to try and and, and catch up from all of this. And I'm wondering what we think about when businesses are are likely to see a meaningful turn. Tim Stump sent me a note and said, the theme is survive to 25, (laughs) then thrive. Um, And and I wonder, you know, can can a lot of these people, can a lot of these people get through 24 to, Put that to, on an to inspirational poster, Dennis. Yes. Like one of those with like the landscape with like the serene lake, like survive to 25. Right, survive yeah. to 25. Hang in there, everyone. Just get to the other side. But but really, in trying to to see where 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 business is is likely to be in the next six to 12 months, I mean, do do some of these big furniture makers really run the risk now of, of having to, to scale back yet again? You know, a great indicator is... Um, is the Mitchell Gold story. And um, mm. there was certainly nobody interested in buying the company or buying the brand or buying the stores. And maybe there was some interest, but nobody nobody really stepped up. But um, that factory they had in, in Western North Carolina was considered one of the best upholstery yeah. plants in the country. And the fact that other upholstered manufacturers in that region, and that is where a lot of the upscale guys are, didn't uh, kick the tires on that plant, and and that plant is uh, is about to bite the dust. That's a good indicator that nobody's optimistic that they're going to need more capacity. And to your point, Dennis, uh, they may need less. Uh, you know, uh, we're not seeing it, but I don't know if they've eliminated some second shifts or or uh, uh, certainly stopped hiring, but um, there's still not a great deal of optimism uh, out there. And nobody sees anything coming along in 24 uh, that is going to make a whole lot of difference. So, you know, most businesses, the recovery is always uh, 12 to 18 months out there. No matter what point we're at, it's always, yeah, it's it's coming, but it's- That's that's it's, the company line. It's, yeah, yeah, it's 12 to 18 months it's 12 out, to 18 think. months, and yeah. it's going to be fabulous. And, uh, and wait you know, till we get there. Oh, it's going to be great. But they've been saying yeah. this for the last 12 to 18 months. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a lot of- uh, 
let's see what happens. It was interesting that, you know, if six months ago, there were so many conversations about, well, when the recession comes, this is going to mean X. And I didn't hear the word recession spoken by a single person at market. And the uh, suits who claim to be economists and claim to know what they're doing um, I have now said, well, maybe we're not going to have a recession. And, and Warren, do you think, and that's such a great point, but do you think that's partially because for these guys, they've been in a recession for 18 months, right? I mean, yeah, wh- how else would you describe what they've been going through? So, I mean, they don't, they don't need to use the word recession because they've been living it for a year and a half. And Absolutely, it, it, yep. That, that was my sense as well. And, and I feel like nobody was really worried about a recession because, my God, what, what challenge haven't people faced and, and what alterations to their business haven't they already had to make? And so now it's really just a question. I mean, we, we joke, but it, this ability, how many of these businesses really can survive for the next year? What is that competitive landscape going to? to look like and and do we do we think it that it's the higher end companies that are going to weather this the best is it the is it the rock house farm family of brands and those companies that we know really fortified their balance sheets during this time and and look to to thrive yeah go ahead Caitlin. well i say and actually interestingly i think a number of a number of manufacturers kind of pulled me aside in our appointments and said hey like you know we're looking at what's happening out there and we're family owned or we don't have any debt or our balance sheet is good. And like this exactly. is a tough time, but we're healthy. Yeah. How do we tell that story? I mean, we're not going to like print our bank statement, you know, in a business of home ad, but like. <laughs> I wish what? they would. That would be, be exciting. So great. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, think there, I think there were, especially, you know, in that, you know, high end custom and semi custom space, a lot of people looking for ways to communicate stability. And and let you know their designer clients know we're not about to go under. Our business is solid, and I think that's sort of an interesting concern to have, right? That like is our customer scared to place an order because of the general climate or the the worries they feel about you know some of our competitors or you know companions in this space? Shifting gears a little bit, one of the areas of newness, one of the new things that we saw at, at market was this shop object or shop objet as i like to say <laughs> uh, and and i'm i'm curious to hear from both of you what your impressions were I, I i thought it certainly looked lovely and there were there were a lot of interesting companies small brands that got to come and and participate in market but caitlin what was your what was your sense one of the things as i was talking to exhibitors and you know the show was kind of winding down is um Shop Object is, you know, this amazing New York show. It has so much cachet in New York and kind of among that, the buyer that comes to New York for that show. Um, And a lot of those exhibitors had never been to High Point before. This was their entree into a market that they didn't know, didn't necessarily understand, but, you know, felt like maybe there was an opportunity here for them. Um, And so I think some of them, I think, came with expectations that the show would be exactly like New York, where you open the doors and people rush in and it's frenetic the entire Mm. time. And obviously that didn't happen. And so I think maybe there was some sort of, I don't know, early discontent. It also rained Saturday morning, which just screws up everybody. It's great if you're an IHFC and it's pretty lousy if you're anyone else. You know, the furniture industry operates in a a parallel universe uh, from other markets. And so 
um, shop object meant absolutely nothing to them. And um, I think <laughs> like having as a, a brand. So- yeah, the brand was, uh, I'd say 99% of the people who go to High Point had never been to the New York show. And so having a sign that said, uh, first time ever shop object in High Point, People said, okay, I don't know what that means. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm not, I can't find it anyway. So I, I think they, um, they need to establish that brand in the furniture business and, um, uh, and tell folks this is a show of, uh, of home decor and accessories that uh, with, with, um, with brands that you, don't, uh, you haven't seen before and you might like to buy from. So um, for a first time through, I thought it, I thought they made a valiant effort. It sure looked good. The mix of uh, of exhibitors was was pretty solid. You know, some companies had no business being there because uh, neither furniture retailers nor de- interior designers were ever going to buy from them. But a lot of them uh, were credible uh, vendors. So they need to uh, establish this. You know, I think. Uh, and they need patience from their um, <clears throat> exhibitors that uh, it's going to be worth sticking around once it gets established. So, again, I think a good start, and um, I'd like to see what it looks like in it next April. And I think coming in at the end, what I kind of wanted to piggyback on that was I think that started to happen. You know, one exhibitor told me that one thing that was encouraging was traffic really started to pick up, like Monday especially. And he said that it was people who kind of rushed in and said, oh my gosh, I only have half an hour, but my friend said this was so cool and I had to see it. And they get there and they realize that maybe half an hour wasn't enough. But he was saying, you know, I feel like a lot of these people are going to come back and have two hours to spend with us in April. You know, he was really optimistic that they'd made a great impression and that the buzz was really building, you know, and that people were sort of flying across town and saying, oh, I heard I couldn't leave without seeing this. And that that bodes well for next time. Yeah, that's encouraging. Yep. I wonder on the product front, Caitlin, was there anything that just surprised you, surpassed your expectations, stayed with you after you left? Well, I am here on behalf of lots of people who were bent out of shape at market. Okay. To let everybody know that Boucle is here. It's very much here, and it is very much here to stay. Um, So I'm not going to pick a fight, but I will say that, you know, (laughs) uh, I don't think I went in a single showroom that didn't have it. And for all the sort of doom and gloom predictions about sort of an end of a trend, you know, I think fall market really showed us that manufacturers are listening to what their customers want. And I am sorry to say, I think what their customers want is Boucle. Is Boucle. It's uh, it's a crowd pleaser. That was that was very evident. Yeah. It, look, it wasn't all, you know, like tightly upholstered, you know, tightly woven, and it wasn't all ivory. Um, no. you know, we saw it in a lot of really pretty dusty kind of rusts and salmons and saffrons and olive greens. Some of it was bigger, you know, and kind of like a nubbier texture, but that, you know, really versatile, useful kind of woven texture. Um definitely feels like it has a very long life to live in the design marketplace. And I thought that was really, really striking. And it's it's the only the latest example of how the industry gets tired of a trend way before the customers do. So um, they need to just keep at it, even if we're done with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And that was a very clear message from all of them. They are sticking with Boucle. Yes, 
more colors yeah. and, and more more textures to your point, Caitlin, but go ahead. What did people say to you when you walked in? Because I walked in and they were like, I have a bone to pick with you. I would like to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it was everywhere, no, no question. But to your point, at least there was some expansion on what that term suggests. And uh, I feel like there was some some forward movement, and uh, and that I I made a little bit of progress in my efforts <laughs> to uh, to overthrow the Ivory Boucle Empire that has a, a stranglehold on our on our industry. But uh, but but I wonder if Warren anything that that you saw suggested any kind of a, a meaningful shift or anybody doing things in a, in a different way. I saw more color, but then again, it wouldn't take much to have more color than you've seen. <laughs> I saw less curves, and I don't know if Caitlin in upholstery, did you see less curves, the same amount, more, all of the above? Kind of more all of the above, but there was a lot of um, really like faceted kind of angular pieces that I think were added to kind of complement some of those curves. There was... Um, that sofa with the really kind of sharply sloped back and sort of the angled the angled arms and kind of giving you that yeah like cut gem kind of shape. I feel like that started to kind of creep in and complement. Um, I saw a lot of people doing stuff with like cast metals in a really interesting way, a sort of a, mm. a metallic accent. And on a total not trend note, I think one thing I thought that was interesting, but just a new way of doing business, um, was it Caracol? They launched a fully transactable site right before market and had QR codes on every single product that you could scan and you could like add to cart and check out while you were walking through the showroom for designers or retailers. We walked through on Monday and I was like, oh, like, how's this going? Like, are people, you know, like scanning QR codes? And um, they said that they've already shipped out some orders within 48 hours that had come in through market. You know, they were fulfilling orders as market was happening, which I thought was really interesting. You know, I think we'll have to wait and see if that really moved the needle for them. But I thought that was a really innovative approach to doing business at market that I hadn't seen a ton of before. Self-checkout, just like at Walmart. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Exactly. Well, I mean, I that's that's my fear. I mean, if if it if it starts becoming more like Walmart, then I'm I'm really going to be worried. <laughs> Particularly now that they're working on that AI designer robot that they're that they're creating that really has me up in arms. Speaking of which, were people talking about artificial intelligence? Were people talking about technology in some meaningful way in general, Caitlin? I mean, I saw a couple people adding to their visualization program. Um, I know at Chadic, they were showing, you know, they had a screen that really allowed you to see some of those um, capabilities just in terms of rendering your product, having that 360 view of your custom configuration. And I think those capabilities and those technologies, you know, as brands invest in them, I think that's really smart. I think it's really useful for the designer. So there was a little bit of conversation around that, you know, with some of the brands that are kind of investing in that way. Um, but no, I didn't hear anyone, you know, especially worried or triggered by, you know, the the next wave of AI innovation. Um, it was pretty quiet on that front. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my sense as well. I didn't uh, plenty of other things to worry about. Yes. So why why worry about uh, what's in the future when right now seems pretty darn challenging for for everyone? I, I'm wondering this. We, we referenced earlier companies trying 
to really cater to the designer more. And I feel like every market, the conversation seems to be more designers, fewer retailers, more of a focus on what do they do to go after this designer business? What, what was your sense there, Caitlin? And did you have conversations along those lines? I mean, I think so many of the places that we visit really do have the designer kind of at the at That's the core of focus. what they're doing. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. I think, you know, that has been, I don't want to say normal in my world, but at least normalized in my world, even if they have sort of a parallel track of retailer business. Um, but I do think there's just a really a growing awareness of the the value of working with designers and that that, you know, kind of derogatory like onesie twosie order is actually a really valuable customer. I think a lot of the times what designers are looking for from these brands is trust. They want to be able to sit on the frames and know it's comfortable. They want to meet their rep and know that that rep is going to come through for them. Um, They're looking for a relationship as much as they're looking for, you know, what's new this season. And so I think if your model is just to walk someone through and say, this is new, this is new, this is new, this is new, like, what are you buying? You're not going to find success with the designer. Um, And so I think, you know, companies are looking for sort of how they recalibrate that sales and showroom experience to, to make sure there's an opportunity to sit test, you know, so that you can go back to your client and say, no, really, I sat in this and it's amazing. And to hopefully kind of create that connection with the team so that a designer feels comfortable especially in this weird climate where bankruptcies might be on the horizon, you know, in placing that order with you and trusting their clients' money to you, um, all of those things. To that point, we're seeing uh, the start or the, the progression of a, uh, of a, re, uh, a redefining of, of high point geography. Um, a lot of the big companies that had been essentially targeting retailers not and interior designers were a uh, a marginal business with them are realizing that that's more of of the of the attendee base at market and they are shifting uh where and how they they come to market so you're seeing more companies pull out of the big building out of IHFC and move into freestanding uh showrooms or move into the Hamilton Ren area you know, I've never seen Hamilton Wren as busy as it was. It was uh, hopping. It, it yeah. definitely was. So um, a lot of companies are saying, well, I don't need to be in the big building. I don't need this size showroom. And um, to me, those are some fundamental shifts. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, uh, High Point is famous for going back and forth on all these kinds of things. But um, clearly, companies want to go to market differently to appeal to that uh, uh, designer trade. And and do companies having their own showroom outside of these buildings further support the conversation of high point year round and and whether that whether that's more of a reason because they are paying those those separate expenses out of I mean what's your what's your sense about that conversation which comes around every market but never really seems to get enough meaningful traction so i talked to a couple of exhibitors that um were trying the year round uh thing and they said it's pretty much not working they just don't get enough traffic off market. And um, the year-round markets that succeed are the ones that have essentially a drive-in uh, tra- uh, traffic base. And uh, High Point doesn't have that. You know, they've got, they've got Charlotte or Raleigh, but it's not, 
It's not New York. It's not Atlanta. It's not Dallas. It's not LA. And so uh, it's really hard to support a year-round exhibition strategy. And so right now, that has not been successful, at least from the guys I talk to. Well, I mean, it sounds like the big takeaway is it was a it was a fairly anxious, cautious market. Would you would you both say? I would say cautiously optimistic in my world, at least. But I think cautious is definitely an important kind of word to include in there. And, and I'm going to go with cautiously pessimistic. Uh, <laughs> uh, people are worried, and they don't see they don't see a big turnaround coming anytime soon. It's not. It's not, uh, we're going out of business, but it's, hey, we're not done with this, and it's going to be a while before we will be. Well, thanks thanks for leaving us on that upbeat note, the two of you. Boy, it's just been a joy to spend the morning with both of you. Wow. Can't, uh, let me get a refill on my coffee and see if I can start the day over after this. I think you're going to need a bigger cup, uh, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. No, clearly. I, I, I need a bigger refill. Uh, but, I, but I thank you both. I know you're just, just getting back and, and exhausted. So I thank you both for making the time. Thank you, Dennis. This has been great. Always, always good. Yep. Okay, we're getting to the end of the show here, but before we go, we'd like to take a second to highlight anything going on in the industry that might have caught our eye. Fred? Uh, you know, we talked earlier in the show about um, companies like Walmart and Wayfair using AI tools to, to try and, you know, weave into their products. And it's important to say that, you know, AI is getting weaved into tools that designers can use, too. A lot of this stuff is getting worked into stuff like Canva and, and all that. all that. So we're going to see in the months ahead a lot of the programs that interior designers use have some sort of AI worked into them. I just got sent a demo the other day of, a, I don't know if it's new, but they're sort of relaunching the tool called Kanoa, spelled C-A-N-O-A which is kind of a really cool like AI powered mood board software where you'll like load up a picture that you think is inspiring and a little identify all the products in it and you can sort of pull them out and play with them. Um, you know, I just started playing with it, but it's it's interesting. It's very playful and kind of fun and uh, it's definitely worth checking out and certainly something to keep an eye on. I think I think we're going to see a lot more stuff like this in the next few months. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I'm, I'm eager to hear more. How about you, Dennis? What's catching your eye this week? Well, just coming back from High Point, one of the fun things was I got to see a couple of small brands that I wouldn't normally get to see. I got to see Filling Spaces, which is a beautiful hand-blocked fabric and wallpaper company, and a really fun wallpaper company called Lonesome Pictopia, Hmm. which was also great to see and and one that I wouldn't normally get to. So I I, I was really thrilled to to meet them and see their beautiful product. Discovery in action. I like it. That's uh, (laughs) that's always a good thing. Indeed. Indeed. All right, that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep up with the latest news, browse job listings, or take a workshop, visit us online at businessofhome.com. If you want to get in touch with the show, write to us at podcast at businessofhome.com. This episode was produced by Fred Nicolaus and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday.